Your customer's data privacy is important, but so is personalization. Learn how to balance both so you can optimize your ad performance and scalability with Adobe and Meta. Adobe's real-time customer data platform collects and aggregates customer data across channels, helping you build actionable, unified customer profiles. Meta Conversions API creates a direct connection between your marketing data and marketing systems. This helps you better measure results and improve your ad targeting within Meta technologies. Find out more at unlockmarketingdata.com. Increase conversion rates and create privacy-safe targeted ads. Adobe and Meta give you the tools to future-proof your data strategy to go beyond third-party cookies. Visit unlockmarketingdata.com to get started. The metaverse market opportunity could be in the trillions of dollars. And every brand is trying to make sense of what this means to them. Unlike past financial opportunities, this one comes with entirely new ways to make money and even new types of money because the definition of value itself is changing. I'm your host, Kathy Hackle. And in this episode, we'll talk to Web3 and Metaverse pioneers about the different approaches to commerce that they are experimenting with and the new commerce models that are evolving. G-Money was an equities trader for 15 years. So he knows the world of traditional finance. He switched over to the world of crypto and NFTs after catching a glimpse of how the younger generations are embracing Web3 and Metaverse commerce. On the first day of quarantine, I had bought a PlayStation back in March of 20, in March of 2020. And uh, I hadn't played a video game in over 10 years. I, I figured the only way I'd survive quarantine is if I actually played video games. So I buy a PlayStation, I download Fortnite, and I start playing Fortnite with two of my really good friends from college and one of their nephew from, from Texas. And this kid's 12 years old. The first question he asked me is, you know, what, what skins did you buy? And I'm like, skins, they don't give me any special powers. There's no reason I'm gonna buy any skins. And uh, fast forward two or three weeks, I buy a bunch of skins and I'm like, wow, like, you know, it's, it's kind of addictive. And I realized that that kid is changing his skin every game, which is every like, let's say 10 to 20 minutes. And, you know, he's 10, 12 years old today, 10 years from now, he's gonna be 22. He's gonna have his own disposable income and he's gonna be totally okay with owning a purely digital asset. So at this point, I'm like, wow, there's this massive super cycle here that's gonna, that's gonna happen over the next one to two decades. And I, you know, I don't know how to, you know, position myself, but I know that it's gonna be big. And, you know, at that point, I'm just like, yeah, digital assets are gonna be big, it's definitely the future. I just don't know how, as an equities investor, I was going to really harness that. G-Money is right. Digital assets are big. We don't always get such specific insights into a private company's financials. But in 2021, it was revealed that Fortnite sold close to $50 million worth of a single set of NFL skins. And those weren't even the biggest sellers. As people become more comfortable with virtual worlds, they are open to new modes of commerce. We are all familiar with buying goods in a store or online. Those are the physical to physical and digital to physical commerce models. If you're a gamer, you're also used to purchasing virtual goods to use in a virtual world, or what I call the virtual to virtual model. But with the barrier breaking between the physical and the virtual, we are going to see the rise of new commerce models that merge the physical and the virtual even more. 
Gen Z, Gen A, young millennials are just point in fact using new tools. They are using their Alexa devices to shop. They are hanging out and they're buying Robux to engage with Roblox and Fortnite, different tools and different currencies. And it's, it's natural that when people are using new tools, that's going to be a tool that's used for commerce because at the end of the day, we're all innately consumers, whether it's of content or merchandise. As Brandon Kaplan, my colleague and chief innovation officer at Journey explains, rising generations interest in new tools and new technology platforms are naturally opening up new commercial opportunities. And so if people are spending time in these virtual games, virtual worlds, they're innately going to want to want to buy fashion and different skins and shoes and merchandise virch. And so I think that uh, again, hard to define exactly what that looks like, but because there is this vision of let's call it a utopian shopping experience in gaming and virtual worlds, there's an infrastructure being built that will allow people to test. We're already seeing some nascent infrastructure that supports two new commerce models, the virtual to physical and the physical to virtual metaverse commerce models. Virtual to physical activations allow you to purchase physical goods in virtual environments, while physical to virtual products are physical goods that unlock some kind of virtual component. As more creatives dive into this space and technology continues to advance, I imagine these new commerce models will become more inventive, immersive, and seamless at scale. The past couple of years have proven that the metaverse market opportunity isn't just about buying and selling digital goods, though. There is an immense interest in the mechanics that allow you to actually own a digital asset or piece of data. Web3 consumers have come to expect that they will be able to own and use their digital assets as they please, not just in whatever way the initial seller or platform marketed it to them. Entrepreneur Tommaso Di Bartolo explains why he has been intrigued by this development. In the past, we as an end user, we were dedicating time into third-party tools, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, the YouTubes of this world, right, to have in return a benefit, you know, maybe a um, were built to entertain us. But what we actually did is really dedicating our time with nothing else in return than the entertainment or, or, or just uh, satisfying our boredom. Nowadays, we are basically for the very first time owning our time, meaning where we dedicate our time, we have a piece of the action. If I would like to be entertained, then I would like to get something out of it. So to respond directly, we really are in a phase where we're shifting from renting into ownership. And this ownership based on Web3 is what really chants me and hooks me as an entrepreneur because I see the next 20 years so many use cases that we were not even capable of thinking. Brands and creatives alike are interested in having direct interaction with consumers without a platform as a middleman. This interest in creating a decentralized open metaverse inspired cryptocurrency pioneer Peter Vesesnes and author Neil Stevenson to team up and together they founded Lamina One. A lot of blockchains don't think of themselves this way, but Lamina One is also a community endeavor. So 
it's like a whole group of people trying to build the open metaverse, basically. So, so we have some tech components to it, and we have some intellectual property components and so on. But, but I think if you could think of it like in our dreams, it's a movement to build the open metaverse. That's that's the goal. In my view, the the way we get to a metaverse that succeeds is by filling it with experiences that millions of people, hopefully billions of people, want to have. And uh, there are people who have the talents needed to create those experiences. So uh, we need to make it economically rational for those people to instead build metaverse experiences. Neil Stevenson goes on to explain how he sees the blockchain model and smart contracts as an incentive for creatives to enter the Web3 and metaverse space. So a lot of what we think we may be able to do with a new layer one chain is to kind of lay down the infrastructure that would be needed to um, enable value chains to be created that would compensate those talented people for their work. Blockchains can do other things besides just moving tokens around. You've also got the ability to create smart contracts and other structures on top of the base layer. The, the notion is that as different people contribute to different aspects of a given experience, and that can mean a lot of different things, but as they put their IP into it, their creativity, that we can keep track of who did what. And, and at the point when all of that adds up to something that actually generates revenue, then there should be a trail that we can follow back to distribute shares of that revenue back to the various people who made it all possible. Fernanda Bocard is one of those creatives who has benefited greatly from the Web3 opportunity. After learning about NFT art, she decided to make her mark with a collection of 111 hand-painted and drawn characters she called Serious and Cool. The collection quickly sold out, and the holders are now connected to Fernanda and each other. Well, Web3 gave me the opportunity for people to get to know me for what I love to do most. And it gave me the opportunity to monetize my art through technology, which I find fascinating. The global reach of this new technology is very good point for artists because it allows us to reach people from all continents. Web3 is very much based on trust and my holders trust me at the beginning and I feel a great responsibility to continue building Serious and Cool as a brand because it's not just me. Now it's me and 111 Serious and Cool holders. What excited me the most is the infinity of possibilities for creators to develop their creative careers because I believe we are in the era of the creative economy and I'm excited to think about the innovative project to come that solve real problems with this new technology. Innovation comes from creating products that makes our lives easier and more fun. As discussed in our first episode, community is a big deal in Web3. Projects need to be about more than just buying and selling, especially after this summer when the crypto and NFT markets saw a decline. Randy Zuckerberg has been on the front lines of developing and supporting Web3 projects with her platform and community, Hug. She advises creators and entrepreneurs to think bigger than just the NFT drop. I think it's I think the downturn is causing a lot of projects to have to have a long-term plan, which I think is a great thing. I think 
you know, six months ago, eight months ago, you only needed to have a two to three month plan for your NFT collection because all you had to do was say the word NFT and launch something and you'd make enough money. Now that's not happening anymore. Mints are not selling out or you have to give away NFTs for free in order to get engagement. And so what that's forcing the community to do is it's forcing everyone to think beyond a few month horizon and think, okay, if I get into the space, I need to figure out how to build something that's going to last for years, not weeks. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's always painful to go through a market like this, but I do believe that in the end, it will make the space better and healthier. We'll be back to Metaverse Marketing in a few minutes. Randy Zuckerberg sees the recent market downturn as an opportunity for Web3 pioneers to think more critically and innovatively about their strategies. So what are some of the ways Web3 commerce can be more robust and productive? As G-Money explains, it's not about extracting value from your customers, but instead providing value. I think one of the things that, that brands definitely get wrong is they come in with the idea that's like, oh, I can sell a new product line and come in right, of the, right out of the gate and trying to figure out a way to extract value. When I think one of the things you want to do is try to figure out a way to, sh to bring value, right? To show the community that you're here for them and you're not here just to necessarily sell them something. You know, I think selling them something is fine, right? Like it's, it's commerce, it's, it's going to happen. But I think if you come in with the right intentions of being one authentic to who you are as a brand, but then two, kind of trying to be of service to the community at large, I think you get a lot more reception and it goes way farther than you would think. If you've been reading the headlines, you know that my team and I worked with Walmart on their entrance to the metaverse. We built and launched two different immersive Roblox experiences called Walmart Land and Walmart's Universe of Play. As we worked with Walmart and Publicis to build these two experiences, we knew we had to do more than just build a virtual Walmart. It needed to be authentic to the platform and community we were entering. Brandon Kaplan explains. This is where a lot of these younger generations are spending their time. And as they grow up and they become consumers and, and creators, well, they're likely going to spend time there. And so I think it, it's spun out of curiosity of the platforms. And, you know, fortunately, Walmart is in a position where they can explore in a really meaningful way. I don't think they're putting their their revenue hopes and dreams on a virtual commerce experience right now. I think that they're, we're really curious about these worlds. We want to explore them. We want to explore them in a meaningful way. And then through collaboration with Journey, we were able to identify, well, if we're going to explore a virtual world, we should do it contextually. And so, you know, when Roblox was identified as a, a place to build, the, the strategy was around, well, what do people like doing there? Not how do we force a branded experience into it, but what do people actually like doing there? What is the culture in that world? And then Walmart really was supportive of, of building something great that met those kind of wants. And so Walmart land is a, is a mirror to what people like doing in Roblox, not in what Walmart's hoping to achieve in Roblox. And there's gonna be a ton of great learnings around traffic and behaviors and conversations around it that will educate future development probably, focused on commerce and business. But this was really a, a great exploratory mission. 
to see, you know, what, what they can do. Tommaso Di Bartolo knows from experience that a successful product must be useful. Whether in the physical or virtual world, a product must have utility. From the perspective of, of investing, I'm very uh, caution in, in buying NFT simply because I'm right now assessing what kind of utility tools are coming that we can add on top of, uh, of just the fact of you owning art or an NFT that is art and music, right? I mean, I really like the idea that we are now capable of doing so. But at the end of the day, regardless how we call it, you know, digital asset on a blockchain, non-fungible token, it needs to provide utility, right? So it needs to have long-term utility, right? And we are, we are exactly in this intriguing phase and time, right, where entrepreneurs and investors are, are doubling down on this new missing link between the asset itself and the utility creation. Tommaso predicts that utility in Web3 will look different from what we have come to expect in Web2.0. So in Web2, when you were building a product and after you basically decided what problem you were solving, you focus very much on the product, right? And then the product has as a result basically a linear benefit. So for instance, if you would like to reinvent a car and you want to go into electric vehicles, right? The purpose usually is for, you know, either commute from A to B or, you know, be aligned with the, with the environment in order to reduce carbon dioxide. Okay, that's great. Now with Web3, the benefit of just that this that is as a result of the core product is no longer enough. I stay to the same example as the car. In the future, if we just produce cars that are not interconnected and bundled with a rewarding system that is digitally ownership, we will no longer accept it. For instance, if you drive not so much, then you get, I don't know, green points because you are rescuing the environment. Or if you buy an old timer, you know, the less you drive, the higher the value of the rewards you get. As long as we were thinking Web2, we, the end user, were not able to claim a benefit beyond what the product delivers. Now that we have Web3, we can start claiming something beyond. So what's the difference here? That you basically, when you think of a product, you cannot just think of your core product. You want to think of your core product at an extended reward that is bundled and interconnected with your core product. You may be thinking, I can barely keep up with my inbox full of Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. How could I ever manage to keep track of rewards attached to every product and interaction? Web3 actually has a very simple answer. You wouldn't have to. Instead, all your tokens, all your data are stored on a digital wallet that can then allow brands to connect to you in order to personalize your experience. Zoe Scheman, who we've heard from in past episodes, describes why she is interested in this technology. It's a mixture of the identification of people, but also brand new data sets, you know, that we've never uncovered before. And then those data sets are also really interesting. So what does a wallet say about me? So if you read my wallet, how can you infer the interest that I have? Is that a new form of kind of cookies, especially when we're looking at the death of third party cookies at the moment as well? And what's happening with, you know, the Apple kind of privacy scheme? Is this a new way for us to kind of build more multidimensional, colorful pictures of our consumers and to be able to serve them you know, accordingly? What I loved about that as well is this kind of surprise and delight that you can do with token gated commerce as well. So you can kind of recognize me and you can recognize the type of NFT I have and you can unlock unique experiences just for me in that moment, whether it's virtual or in real life. And again, I think that thing of feeling special, feeling differentiated is also incredibly powerful and not necessarily anything that we've solved at scale yet because we haven't managed to do personalization. 
Zoe Skamen has been following e-commerce platform Shopify's entrance into token-gated commerce. So one of the areas that I'm really focused on at the moment is token-gated commerce and what Shopify are up to. And, you know, I think what they are doing is super, super smart, which is this idea of, well, how do you token gate for multiple different fandoms? Or how do you token gate if you're doing a brand collaboration? It can get really messy. So, you know, if you wanted to gate a particular commerce experience and you've got one CRM system, for example, you could get people just to enter their email addresses or enter their CRM ID and it's fine. But what if you've got Gucci partnering with a video game, partnering with an avatar FT collection, partnering with, I don't know, an interior design company? Then you've got four different CRM systems, all need to be token gated for the same individual token experience. And it's not going to work. It's super messy. It's really, really complex. And one of the simplest ways of solving that is that you just do a wallet connection and all of those different basically different communities has an NFT which is recognized by the commerce experience and lets them in. And that's essentially what Shopify are building and that's what they see as the kind of future. There is also an opportunity in Web3 for brands to build social responsibility directly into the way they do business. Sasha Wallinger, head of Web3 and Metaverse Strategy at Journey, describes how she hopes to see this happen. I think it's really exciting to think about the monetization and the commercialization of what can be in the metaverse. I think there's a necessity to be cautious and not simply recreate what we have developed in in real life and, and bring those concepts and principles into the metaverse ecosystem. And that's what's so cool about the opportunity with NFTs to create smart contracts and be able to be complimentary or you know, kind of like financially bestowing the the rights to the creative genius behind some of these projects as well as the opportunity to provide environmental and social responsibility line item details within a smart contract that needs to be upheld across the life cycle of the product and then with regards to the holistic journey of commerce in the metaverse my hope is that it becomes something that is much more um socially and environmentally responsible and also creative. There are, I would say, a lot of questions to ask and a lot of different values to ensure, specifically on behalf of brands, to make sure that what they're setting up within this, let's say, cryptocurrency ecosystem, blockchain ecosystem, it goes along with what they've professed to to support. For, for a number of years already, if they're a heritage brand or what the DNA of the new brand, a designer group that they're looking to achieve wants to be. And and I think, you know, just like the, the key takeaway for me in commerce is that we have the opportunity to build this differently. So let's be conscientious of that and, and be thoughtful around how we're... So far, we've talked a lot about new commerce models and commerce on the blockchain, NFTs, tokens, and cryptocurrencies. These are probably the opportunities most people are thinking of when they start looking into the metaverse market. Philip Rosedale, founder of Second Life, has an interesting opinion about this. I've always been a huge believer in open systems, and and I was kind of watching the crypto thing all along. That said, I think we're still very early in finding real utility for the crypto and the larger blockchain space. Blockchains are extremely expensive to operate because at present, they're not decentralized. They're, uh, what's the word for this? They're a distributed identical copy of the same data. I'm not sure how many machines we're talking about, but it's like hundreds of thousands of machines are maintaining an, an expensive, you know, carbon-wise, an, ec- an ec- ecologically expensive 
copy of the exact same data. What we ultimately need to get to, and we're going to use the same, I think we're going to use the primitives of uh, cryptography, for example, to get there. But but what we're going to end up with, in my opinion, is doesn't probably doesn't look much like the blockchains we have today, is actually a real peer-to-peer sort of thing where there are multiple copies of everything, but not exactly a hundred thousand copies so i i feel like as a as an engineer and as a designer i think we're on our way to something interesting but what we're sitting on right now is not it the good news is there are other ways to use cryptography for example just digital signatures that are very powerful and and wonderful and i think we're going to see a lot of new product development in the future even if the particulars are still being worked on the metaverse and Web3 do represent an exciting shift in markets and commerce. There are new ways of doing business on the horizon. At Crate and Barrel, Sebastian Brower is encouraging his team to open up their thinking and embrace different possibilities. If you think about brands today, right, we, we look at commerce and our interaction with consumers in channels, right? We have the retail channel, which is more physical. We have e-commerce, which is based on a Web 2.0 principle, which is very two-dimensional and flat. And then I'm challenging our team and our thinking to shift from channel to dimension and all of, all of that can unlock, right? Because Web 3.0 is no longer about this flat digital interaction. It unlocks experiences, emotions, immersive environments, and so on. So a really incredible space and platform that can not only change how we transact commerce in this new ecosystem, but also how we build community, attract new audiences, and engage with consumers in a much more visual, immersive, connected way. So I think one of the biggest challenges is really being able to drown the noise and have the courage and confidence to recognize that there's this incredibly exciting new world being built before our eyes. Brands are seeing more and more commercial opportunities offered by the metaverse in Web3. Be on the lookout for innovative ideas and use cases, as we're definitely still in a period of exploration. For the metaverse to merge our online and physical lives, we will need Web3 methods like token-gated commerce and digital wallets to smooth the transition. I currently work with a lot of brands to try to find how to scale new commerce models, like the virtual-to-physical and the physical-to-virtual commerce models. What is upon us is a change in customer journeys and commerce models and most importantly, new ways of engaging with our audiences. So expect the future of commerce to look very different from what it looks like.